0: I could concentrate on something for hours, and yet I find that I still have a very short attention span, because that's just life in the D.C. area. You see, we are constantly bombarded with things that demand our attention. We are literally drowning, I think, in things to read, to think about, to respond to, and to do. There are always kids who need transportation, there are events to attend, there are people to spend time with, there are problems that require attention, there are careers to manage, there are presentations to prepare, meetings to participate in, emails to reply to, bills to pay, taxes to file, Still got a week. houses to maintain, yards to mow, meals to cook, and you can just add your personal list onto the End of that. I think we all know what life is like around here. And the the net result of it is that we are a people with an incredibly short attention span. This constant flood of entertainment and real news and fake news coming from all over the place from the web, from social media, from podcasts, from TV, from radio, from news media. Uh, print media, rumors, gossip, all of it is just guaranteeing that, that we never get a chance to really think about things too long or, or too deeply before the next thing comes along and, and shoves that out of our mind and we've got a new crisis or, or thing to think about. And so it is hard to think about, the, to pay attention to the most important things in the world. Last Sunday, we gathered and we, we celebrated the greatest moment in human history. Right, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We rejoiced in the most important truths that, that through the resurrection of Christ, there is forgiveness and life transformation and significance and eternal life available to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we were reminded that as followers of Christ, we have a mission to proclaim this good news as we journey through our lives to share this offer of repentance and forgiveness of sins that is freely available to all who will embrace it. But this mission is made so much more difficult because of our short attention spans, because we lose our focus. I mean, just since Easter, right? just since last Sunday, I will bet most of you had a million things pop up in your lives this past week, right? Things that home, things at work, things at school, things at church, a million things, right? Anybody have a really quiet week with no things? Because if so, let us I suspect there'd be some people willing to trade for a while. We have had all of these things, and most of these things, even the good ones probably, I'm willing to bet, took our mind away from these life-changing truths that we celebrated just a week ago, Right? And so because we are a people that is so easily distracted and overwhelmed and confused by all of the inputs into our lives, all of the demands on our minds, we have to be intentional about repeating and recalling, reviewing and reprocessing and and concentrating on those things that are truly, truly important, because otherwise we lose sight of them all too quickly. Well, in this regard, we are not all that different from the way Christians were 20 centuries ago. And so today we are beginning a journey through the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, a a Roman province in what is today Turkey. And we're going to be looking very closely at all of the parts of Paul's inspired message to, to these believers who were forgetful and easily distracted, just like we are. You see, less than a year or two after Paul had founded the churches in places like Lystra and Iconium and Derbe, these cities in Galatia, the Christians there, the churches there, were distracted and forgetting the core truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the core truth of what Paul had taught them as he traveled through their cities. False teaching was chipping away at their joy and their freedom in Christ. Just as today, there are so many forces that try to chip away at our joy and our freedom in Christ by pulling us away from the core truth of the gospel. On the course of our our journey through the letter to the Galatians, we will have the opportunity to examine many different aspects of of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that is freely offered to every single person. And we will explore what makes this such powerful good news even to people like us in our ultra-modern, think-we-know-it-all, think-it's-all-new-problems-no-one's-ever-faced-before, 21st century Lake Ridge, Virginia lives. You see, what we're going to learn as we go through this, and of course it's not new, but we get easily distracted and forget, that the gospel is not just what gets you saved when you respond to an altar call. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power to overcome all of the brokenness and the emptiness and the pain and the sorrow and the anger and the stress and the loneliness that we experience in life here in northern Virginia. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that there is hope for every seemingly hopeless relationship, for every endless mountain of debt, for every miserable work or school situation or seemingly irredeemable person or personal history. And so we begin today with the introduction to the letter of Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It begins very simply. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Every introduction that Paul writes is a masterpiece in its own way, very concisely introducing the major themes of the letter that is to follow. This is no exception. In these five verses, he's not just saying, hey, what's up? How's it going? He is introducing three key themes, which are going to be explored and elaborated on over the course of the entire letter. And we're going to look at them very briefly today as he has established them very briefly. One is about establishing Paul's authority to speak into their lives. One is reiterating the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and one is addressing the transformative benefits of this gospel. I characterize these themes as the authority given by Jesus, the gifts given by Jesus, and the deliverance given by Jesus. Authority, gifts, and deliverance from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we begin with the authority given by Jesus. It's Immediately in verse 1, Paul establishes authority for speaking into the lives of these Galatian Christians. You see, this letter, as we will see over the course of the coming weeks, is not a happy letter. He is speaking hard truths to friends of his who have quickly forgotten the truth. So therefore, Paul makes it clear that when he speaks and when he writes, he does so on the authority of Jesus Christ. Listen again to how he describes himself. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This word apostle means a messenger or delegate, someone who is sent forth with orders. And to be an apostle was to be intentionally sent out as an ambassador representing the person who sends you. And so when Paul speaks and he says that he is an apostle... He is making it clear he's not speaking on his own behalf. He's not speaking something that he has made up. He is not, then he goes on, he's not speaking on behalf of a particular man or group of men. He's not operating as a representative, Peter or James or the church in Jerusalem. Instead, Paul, also called Saul, was directly commissioned named an apostle, given orders, given instructions by the risen Jesus Christ himself. This is described over the course of the entirety of Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to read all of Acts 9 today. I encourage everyone to take their chance to read it because it is wonderful. But in speaking of Paul, Acts chapter 9 verses 15 through 17 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you have came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because of Paul's Christ-given apostolic calling and his credentials, the point that he is making in verse 1 is that his readers, both those in the churches of Galatia 20 centuries ago and and those today, us, we here, need to accept his authority. Not because he's Paul, but because he's an apostle of Christ. And I'm making this point, I'm raising this point. Ron, it is the foundational beginning of really all that he has to say in this letter. But, but I raise this point because while Paul remains a pretty popular figure in Baptist churches, he's not real popular in the modern American mainstream culture. There are a lot of myths and misunderstandings floating around about Paul and his teachings because a lot of people don't like what he had to say. And so they would just as soon find a way to dismiss his teachings. And and the issue is that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, to the Greco-Roman world, the one sent out away from first century Israel. And so he had to deal with some church and social issues that never needed to be addressed in first century Israel, topics that would never have come up in first century Israel. And so he had to deliver some messages that were not very popular 2,000 years ago. And those same messages are not very popular in America in 2018. And so it is not uncommon to see people in America today dismiss Paul's authority just as the, the Galatian church was questioning his authority. And the point that Paul makes here is that his authority is not about his words or his arguments. Rather, it's that the authority of Paul is the authority of Jesus Christ, who gave him those words and those arguments through the Holy Spirit. Now, the great thing as we journey through the letter of Galatians, one of the things I most enjoy about the letter to the Galatians is that we're going to learn a lot about Paul's experience and the way God formed him as an apostle over a very long period of time. But the most important truth we will learn about Paul is the one that's right there in verse 1. That Paul was delivering the message of Christ to the churches in Galatia, and he is delivering that message to us today in 21st century Lakeridge. And then this passage begins to move forward, and it introduces us to the wondrous gifts given by Jesus. He features these right off the bat in his greeting in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first century letters in the Greco-Roman world typically started with a single word, Kyrene, which literally meant rejoice, but it didn't really mean that. It really just meant hi. It's this big word. It means hello. Paul never starts his letters that way. He always starts it instead with this, this unique Christian greeting, grace and peace, and he He wraps different words around grace and peace. But every one of his letters, I believe, begins with grace and peace. And this is a greeting he uses that reflects the unique gifts of God that have been given to followers of Jesus Christ. Things that the world can't offer. Grace, of course, describes something that that is given to us that we don't deserve. The grace of God and Jesus is the, their undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor and blessing, even though quite often we're doing stuff to continue to actively not earn it, to reject it, to walk away from it, to not deserve it. And yet God gives it anyway. Grace saves us from our sins and condemnation, but grace also transforms us on an ongoing basis to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Grace also sustains us through the rocky seasons of life. And God gives us this grace, again, not because we deserve it or or earn it by coming to church and being good people and and helping people cross the street safely and giving money to the right causes, none of that. God gives us grace because it is His very essence and nature to give grace. When God describes himself in Exodus 34, 6, he calls himself a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is a God of grace. He gives grace by his very nature. And then there is the peace of God, which is the gift given to us to cope with the uncertainty and the suffering and and the violence uh, of this life. It is a gift tailor-made for living in a world that appears to have gone mad and that is filled with a relentless stream of bad news. What Paul is describing includes both peace from God that allows us to thrive amidst chaos and peace with God, the God whom we keep trying to rebel against by trying to do our own thing even when we know what we're not supposed to do. And we need to realize these are not just trivial gifts or, or minor things. That grace and peace are things that we as human beings, we can talk about it, we can say, yeah, I'm going to show you some grace, let's make peace, of course. But we cannot sustainably give this to someone else. right? We could go a long time, maybe on our own strength and effort. I, I can show grace or offer peace on my good days. But then there are those are days... And at some point, right, you get pushed to the point where you resort in our own natural way to our tendency, our tendencies towards what? Unforgiveness, hostility, bitterness, a desire for revenge in the interest of what we call fairness. Only God can provide a limitless supply of grace and peace to cover every situation. And this is what Paul's asking for on behalf of, Of the Galatians. And then, verse 4, Paul introduces us the greatest gift given by Jesus Himself, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ in one verse that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is present at creation by by whom all things were made, and who even right now this moment is is holding all things together, who was tempted in every way but never once sinned, gave himself, gave himself, gave his life for us, for our sins, yours and mine. Jesus voluntarily chose to sacrifice himself, to give himself, to die a horrible and excruciating death on the cross as an innocent sacrifice of blood to pay the penalty of death that we deserve for our sins. Who gave himself for our sins. And and, and we have to realize, right? We don't always want to hear these words, but if we are honest with ourselves, and we seldom are, we have to admit that we mess up. We hurt people quite often. (laughs) Sometimes we mean it, sometimes we don't mean it, but things happen. Our pride, greed, selfishness, desire, jealousy, envy, or or just general nastiness sometimes gets the best of us, and we act against God's will for human flourishing. We act against other people whom God created in His image. We hurt others, we say or do things that we shouldn't or we stand by, and we we fail to act when we should. And for that, we deserve condemnation. We deserve an eternity separated from the perfect and holy God who created us. And yet, in God's great love and in His mercy and His grace, these qualities of His essential nature As verse 4 says, he had a will and a plan for all eternity to redeem us from that sin, to redeem us from our messes, to bring healing and reconciliation by giving his son, the voluntary sacrifice of Jesus who gave himself for our sins. Now, later this morning, we are going to be remembering and celebrating this very sacrifice the body of Christ broken on a cross for us. The blood of Christ poured out for us. As we will gather around the Lord's table and remember this essential truth. But as we celebrated last Sunday and as Paul reminded us again in verse 1, God raised Jesus from death back to life, demonstrating His victory over sin and death, making that victory available to all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this is the saving grace of God. This is the gospel of good news that is so easy to forget amidst the cacophony of voices that speak into our lives today. And this brings us to the deliverance given by Jesus verse 4 proclaims that Jesus gave himself I love this, I love this Jesus gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age and I suspect that most of us sitting here can immediately picture the present evil age can't we? right? an age of mass shootings an age of racism, an age of genocide, an age of disease and famine and mental illness and hatred and warfare and terrorism and poverty and environmental devastation and dictatorship and insecurity and loneliness and so many other evils we see in our world today. And I suspect most of us want to be delivered from this relentless barrage of bad news that is going on both in our personal lives and in the world around us. And the good news is that Jesus Christ gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age. Well, what does that mean exactly? Because obviously, as believers in Jesus Christ, we still have this evil around us. Our lives were not immediately made perfect. We still have problems. We have problems in our, in our families. We have problems in our workplaces. We have problems on the highways. We have problems in school, right? We look around. So what does it mean, right? The evils of this age still very much affect us and impact us. And and scripture is clear. It will continue to do so as long as we live. Scripture teaches that pain and suffering, persecution and illness, poverty, injustice, and death will remain a part of this world until Christ returns. So what have we been delivered from? What does Paul mean when he says that Christ gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age? We can make up a lot of things, we could speculate on a lot of things, but here we must apply probably the most, one of the most important principles for understanding Scripture to answer these kind of difficult questions, which is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So I'm going to briefly introduce three ways that Paul answers this question in the book of Galatians, ways that we will be exploring in greater depth. But right here, what does it mean that Christ gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age? First, through Jesus, we have been delivered from slavery to sin and death into freedom and eternal life. Again, when we are honest with ourselves, we should recognize, we do recognize that we are each naturally drawn to some particular kind of sin. Maybe more than one. But there is something in the, in the vast universe of sin that, that particularly compels each of us. What I am drawn to may be different from what you are drawn to, may be different from what someone else is drawn to, but we are each drawn to sin in one of its many forms. We are naturally drawn to behaviors that are against God's standard and His plan for human good, His plan for creation. And if we leave these things alone, then then these desires, these attractions grow to dominate our time and our thoughts and our desires and our choices and our relationships. They grow even to the point where our most selfless actions can become driven by an excessive desire for glory or reward or status or power. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that through His sacrifice we not only have forgiveness from those sins, we Most of us here recognize and remember that pretty well. We have forgiveness from these sins. But we have freedom from their power when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is a message from throughout Galatians. I pick one verse to highlight it. Galatians 5.13 proclaims, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now we are still going to sin occasionally. Right? Paul prepares us for this in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But the deliverance of Jesus means that as Christians, we have been given a choice. Where before sin was not a choice, we were in it. Now we have a choice. We don't have to sin. We don't have to be dominated by sin. We are able to choose not to sin. That doesn't mean it's easy. It can be very, very hard, but we can choose. We are equipped with all we need to resist or flee temptation if we choose to take advantage of that. So if you are struggling with sin in your life right now, understand you have the power within you through Jesus Christ that is greater than that sin. This is part of that deliverance that we have. We have been delivered out of a place where we really literally cannot say no to sin to a point where now we have the power to resist and to flee. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit of God within us, transforming us and freeing us from sin's death grip. Galatians 6 concludes, The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We have been delivered from spiritual death into an eternity in God's presence when we die. Furthermore, as believers in Christ, Jesus delivers us from loneliness, from insignificance, from isolation into an entirely new life in Christ. One of the tragedies of this era of ubiquitous connectivity in social media is that all statistics indicate that we are becoming less social, more lonely, more isolated than we've ever been. Loneliness is a rapidly growing threat to both physical and mental health in America. But in Christ, we are delivered from this because we are never truly alone. Christ lives within us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the more we can meditate on this, the more we can understand this and, and embrace this reality of Christ in us. Christ's love for us. Christ giving himself for us. The more we nourish and nurture that relationship with him through prayer and through the word and through worship, the more we understand that we are never alone. And it is for the same reason that at the same time, our lives are never insignificant. So many people in our American society, we don't even realize how many people struggle with this question of significance. Does my life matter? Why does it matter? Why would it matter? We have trivialized all things in our culture and it has resulted in people having lives that feel trivial. But when the Lord of the universe lives within you, your life always has purpose and meaning and significance. The glorification of God, the advancement of God's kingdom is the work of each and every believer in Jesus Christ, and that is never insignificant no matter how small you might feel your part is. If Christ is in you, you are never insignificant. You are important, and your life matters. And then we are delivered from isolation into relationship with God, because through Christ we're children of God. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 celebrates, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. At all times, in every circumstance, no matter how difficult the season of our life, our Heavenly Father is present with us. We have been transported from isolation into the presence of God, our Father, who is with us and who is listening when we cry out to Him. Even when we do not feel like God is present in our lives, we need to believe what we know and know what we believe that God, our Father, hears us when we cry, Abba, Father. Finally, through Christ, we have been delivered from selfishness into loving others. The sacrifice of Christ means that we're able to transcend the myopic, selfish values and influences that are tearing this world apart. That through Christ, we can recognize and reject that selfishness of our present evil age because we have been called to make a difference in the lives of other people. We have been delivered From a life absorbed with ourselves into a life of making a difference by loving people. Loving people across the street, loving people in our neighborhood, loving people at work, loving people in school, loving people at the far ends of the earth. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we look at all these different things we have been delivered from and delivered to, the common denominator in each of these is that Jesus Christ delivers us from the power of this age that it holds over our hearts and our minds. That is what we have been delivered from the power to control the way we think and the way we feel. The world is still going to impact us. Its enticements and its darkness and its loneliness are still there calling to us, but through Christ they can no longer dominate and control us unless we let them. Our hearts should continue to break for the ugliness, the evil that's out in the world. We are called, as followers of Christ, to to be pushing back the borders of the darkness, to be pushing back the kingdom of evil, to be growing the kingdom of God, to be pushing against the impacts of the evil age we're in. But but the power of the gospel is that our hope lies elsewhere, that this world is not all that there is, that ultimately we will be delivered from this life, this age, into the presence of God eternally. As you come to verse 5, which is celebrating, this, right, to speaking of God, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right, that phrase that's translated forever and ever is literally ages of ages. We are delivered from this present evil age into ages of ages. This is the glory of God. We have been being delivered from today, from this world in which we live, delivered into the presence of God's infinite glory, ages of ages, forever and ever. Amen. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to share with everyone around us who is struggling and suffering amidst all the miseries of this present evil age. And so let us pray that we would be faithful. Heavenly Father, What an unbelievable, just glorious truth that you have delivered us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do not deserve your grace. We cannot earn it, Lord. If we're still trying to earn it, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we would stop trying to earn your favor by doing more good stuff and instead teach us to embrace this grace. Lord, I pray as we celebrate what we have been delivered from, delivered from slavery to sin, delivered from loneliness, delivered from isolation, delivered from insignificance, delivered from death. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that we will not lose sight of these truths as we go about our incredibly busy hustle and bustle daily lives. I pray that we would be faithful instead in sharing this good news with all those who so desperately need to hear it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.